Bulwark. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species. Organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose. To add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy. The definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Hello and welcome to the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny, and I play Nathan Quinn, the captain of the USS Arabella. And this is Jen. I play the Vulcan First Officer Commander Savril. On this week's The Ready Room, we have the story so far. Take it away, guys. We are the Borg. Life as you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. Okay, so here's this week's The Story So Far. First up is a post by Moyer777, and it will be read by Moyer777. Margon took short and shallow breaths as he struggled to gain his composure. How dare someone interfere with his work? He had lost his temper, something he didn't do much since it didn't serve his purpose. The broken jars lay on the floor as the fluid flooded around his feet. I'm not cleaning it up, he muttered. Computer, Drone 47. The strange sound of a drone being released from its alcove rose above the whir of machinery in his lab, and the drone emerged. This drone had no eyes, no mouth, simply a breathing hole in the center of its gray head. Scars surrounded bands of black leather that lay horizontally strapped around where the face should be. Clean this up, Margon barked. The seemingly mindless drone extended his mechanical arm and began to vacuum up the liquid at Margon's feet as the doctor approached Quinn. Something's different about you, he snarled. Why do I get the sense that you aren't like my other subjects? Nathan tried not to panic as Margon methodically flicked a metal scalpel in his hand. He felt the curiosity welling up in the bullion as he peered down at him on the table. What are you going to do with me? Quinn asked. What do you want from me, Counselor? Margon paused and tipped his head to the left. What? What did you say? I'm a doctor, not a counselor, he said with disgust. Does this hurt? Margon pushed on one of the tubes that he had placed running into Quinn's head. He had implanted, implanted Quinn with several devices, trying to discover his subject's unique abilities. Ah! yelled Quinn as he felt himself starting to pass out. Hmm, that answers my question, 
the doctor smiled, and then he pushed harder, clamping off the tube. Nathan lost consciousness. Counselor, he pondered. Why did he call me counselor? Something inside the bullion clicked for a moment. A brief impression ran through his devious mind, like a faint whisper during a raging storm. He heard the words, That's because you are where I come from. He dropped his scalpel onto the floor, and it bounced a couple of times. The sound of the metal hitting the floor echoed in the chamber. He's a telepath. This epiphany changed everything. Margon's left eyebrow raised, and he resolved to explain the mystery of his strange new guinea pig. Computer, seal the doors. He would have no one disturbing his new find. Interface hollow matrix around test subject and table, he said into the air. The computer chirped, and Margon took a metal probe from his jacket. As he held it up to the light, he touched a few buttons on the side of it, and then smiled. This ought to do the trick. I wonder what we'll find. With that, he thrust the metal spike into the base of Quinn's cerebral cortex. Nathan's eyes opened wide and he arched upwards as he felt the pain of the cold metal spike on his skull. The pain was unbearable. The probe made an eerie sloshing sound as it connected to the brain. The other end of the probe now began to light up and two small antennas emerged. They began to send information to the hollow emitters. The room began to change around them as Margon took readings on his medical tricorder. Perfect, he mused. Your implants will speak to me, my new friend. Your implants will speak to me. He reached down and stroked the side of Nathan's face. There, there. It will all be over soon. Next, a post by Jen. Read by Jen. Severell bent to give the Emperor a deep kiss, and as she did... She tilted her head and fired a scowl at the interrogator, which prompted him to avert his eyes. He glanced back a few times, waiting for the lengthy show of affection to come to an end. When it finally did, the Emperor dismissed her, and the woman moved with a deliberate sway past to Colin, keeping her intense glare locked on his own. The door hissed open and the Vulcan disappeared into the corridor. She could literally feel the feral hatred emanating from the interrogator as she strode past him on her way out of David's room. She held his gaze fearlessly and did her best to reflect the look of raw abhorrence. Savril knew it perturbed him that a Vulcan would be allowed to do so, and if she were any other woman, he would have slapped her down before the Emperor. And yet, if she were any other woman, she would not have had the courage to return the glower. Was it courage that drove her to willingly take the mantle she had been asked to accept? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the one. Those were Surak's words, but did she truly believe them? Logic had betrayed her people too many times for Savril to see the sense in such an assertion. Surak's principles were once important to her, but that ended when her husband was assimilated. Through their bond... She felt autonomy viciously ripped from him, and then the link to her beloved was severed by the racious drone of countless voices speaking as one. There was no logic in his suffering. No logic in her own. What was logic but a lie told for the benefit of an oppressed people? Nothing. It was nothing but a lie. 
Savril furiously fought the wave of nausea that washed over her as she exited the room and entered the corridor. She needed another dose of the remedy Casey had created for her. The mistress swallowed and headed quickly to her personal physician's quarters. She would need his help, not only to combat the uncomfortable symptoms, but to treat the man David had released into her care. Reese Peters, no doubt, would require medical attention after enduring DeCollin's cruel torture. Now we have one by Trucky Geek, also read by Trucky Geek. Reese Peters awoke from a glorious dream and was greeted with the view of his small cell. He sighed as reality kicked out the last embers of sleep. He slowly sat up and his body protested in pain. He had been in this cell for quite some time now and his stay here had been a painful one. His face was covered in cuts and bruises and his clothes were tattered and torn. Memories of the last few days stabbed into his foggy mind. Reese Peters had been captured by the Empire a few days ago and he had been unceremoniously thrown into this wretched room without too much explanation. Something about treason, he couldn't remember exactly, but he did know the punishment for such a crime. The Empire had a reputation for dealing with traitors and Peters was keen not to experience it for himself. Not that he wasn't used to pain though. Peter's history had been full of pain, both mentally and physically. He had spent most of his adult life as a mercenary, never pledging himself completely to anyone, just in it for himself and the latinum that could be made. He was a huge athletic man, and his shape and natural skill for fighting had kept him busy ever since. But these last few days had been different. Now he was captured, nowhere to run, and he was frightened, an emotion that he rarely felt. He had been visited by a stranger on a few occasions who had taken great pleasure in dishing out pain to him. Torture was not something Reese had endured before. He was more into the good, honest art of hand-to-hand -hand combat, not the cowardly ways of this interrogator. He swallowed hard as the thought of the sneering torturer entered his mind again. He lay back on the uncomfortable bed, closed his eyes, and tried to get back to the lovely dream he had just had. And now here's a post by Jen. Read by Jen. Savril leaned against the bulkhead outside of Casey Peterson's room as the lurking queasiness continued to challenge her resolve. It had almost overwhelmed her, and the dizziness that accompanied the sensation prompted her to brace herself. She closed her eyes and tried to regain her poise. The pounding of boots on metal deck plates grew in amplitude as a group of men stomped into the corridor. Startled by the noise, her eyes opened and her gaze abruptly turned from the ceiling to the soldiers. The crewmen ogled her lustfully before the realization of just who the woman belonged to washed over them. They soberly moved their attention to their boots or weapons and quickened their haste. The vessel shuddered again, reminding Savril that they were in the midst of a battle. How could she forget that the Borg were just beyond the bulkhead she leaned against? The Vulcan drew a breath and straightened as the men passed. Then she slowly turned to depress the door chime. Just as her slender finger moved to touch the pad, the door opened to reveal a haggard individual. Casey wore the expression of a man whose burdens had carved permanent concern upon his face. A furrow brow lifted, and his hazel eyes widened when he saw his patient's flushed appearance and faded demeanor. Mistress! The ship lurched slightly, and she gripped the doorframe to keep her balance. Dr. Peterson stepped forward and visually scanned the corridor before ushering her inside. Please, come in. 
She stumbled into his room as the door rocked violently. He caught her arm before she fell and quickly lowered her into a chair. Without a word, the doctor moved to gather a vial and a hypo from a nearby cabinet, then began to prepare the remedy. I need you to accompany me to the brig, doctor, said the Vulcan between swallows. You shouldn't go anywhere in your state. You need to rest, the doctor uttered sternly as he stepped forward and quickly pressed the device to her neck. She closed her eyes a moment as the injection worked within her to curtail the nausea. She swallowed again and flicked her gaze upward to meet Casey's. The Emperor has granted me permission to remove Reese from the brig. I need him to help me carry out another assignment. She paused. The drug began to relax her muscles and she leaned back in the chair in relief. Casey's expression softened and he took a seat beside her. He will require medical attention, she continued with a minor slur. I am certain you are aware of the interrogator's propensity for brutality. It is likely DeColin has left Peters in poor health. He needs you, doctor. DeColin was dangerous, and it was obvious to the doctor that the interrogator hated Savril. Casey shivered as he recalled the torture that he once endured in the interrogator's brig. Joseph DeColin was merciless. Peterson raised a hand to touch the deep scar hidden in his brown hair and frowned. The only cause Savril should be fighting was the fight to renew her health. Casey Peterson was a noble man, and such a trait was rare within the Empire. Savril knew she needed an ally like Dr. Peterson to help her fulfill her task, and knowing the injustice that befell his Vulcan friend, the physician was all too willing to assist the general's widow. Aside from power, Savril was David Locke's one predilection. He was eager to turn her thoughts from the dead to himself. And so, without question, the Emperor appointed Casey Peterson as the Imperial Physician. It was then that Savril recognized the power she held over him. He may be the most formidable ruler the Empire had ever known, but she had learned to bend his will. This is a joint post by Hawkeye Meds and Wraith1701 and will be read by Rico. Dunn walked to the anonymous holding cell and looked through the glass panel. He didn't like this prisoner. He was awkward, defensive, and angry. As he pressed the control panel, the door shot up. He pointed his phaser into the darkness. Computer, remove holding clamps. The sound of metal sliding back echoed out of the darkness and a growl began to stir. Dunn stepped back. Walk slowly out of the cell. Do not make any sudden movements, Klingon, or I shall happily destroy you. A growl echoed out of the darkness, and a manacled Klingon stepped forward. He lifted his arms to his face to shield the light that burned his eyes. Move. The interrogator feels the need to pass some time. And as you are his favorite toy at the moment, he thought he'd bring you out to play. The Klingon moved towards the doors shuffling gently as the chains around his ankles limited his movement. Dunn watched the huge creature move towards the exit. Taking an opportunity, he kicked the door panel next to the Klingons. Wakey, wakey, Peters. You might be next. Dunn smiled and ran up to the Klingon and pushed him. Come on, move. The doors to the interrogation chamber opened, and DeCallan watched the former Klingon regent shuffle in. Worf stared at the two Terrans, silently hoping that this would be the day that he could end his humiliation. He had no idea of how long he had been their captive or of where the cell was located. 
The bare walls provided no access to the outside world, and the lighting went on and off at irregular intervals, no doubt in an effort to keep him in a state of constant disorientation. But regardless of whether it took a month or a year, he knew without a doubt that the day would come when his captors made a mistake. And when they did, he would make them pay in blood. As he passed near the human called Dunn, War flexed his shoulders, trying to restore some of the circulation to his arms. He was gratified to see Dunn flinch at the motion. Terrans, he thought, so soft and frail. If not for the meddling of the interlopers from the other universe, the Terragan vermin would have been long stomped out of the triples like the triples they were. Instead, they were trying to recreate their lost empire. The taller Terragan, the one called Decalon, smiled evilly at Worf. Would you care for some blood wine, hmm? Come on, Worf, sit down, make yourself at home. Worf returned the man's predatory grin with one of his own and glanced at the room's walls. If you truly want to make me feel at home, perhaps you will allow me to redecorate. I think the walls would look much better painted with your blood. Remove my shackles and I will be happy to demonstrate. Decalon erupted into a hearty laugh. That's the spirit, mate. He quickly approached Worf, obviously unafraid of the hulking Klingon. That's what makes you one of my favorite pets. You just don't know when to quit. Worf felt his blood boil as he imagined his hands tearing apart the Terrigan's throat. I'll quit, quit once your species has been returned to its rightful place at the foot of the Alliance. His features twisted into an ugly leer. Enjoy your temporary power while you can, Patak. My son will be sending a fleet to cleanse your world with flame. We shall see how much you laugh when your cities are burning down around you. DeCallan's smile stayed, but his eyes had had fire behind them. Fire, Worf? Fire? Would you like to see the flames? Would you like to feel the heat? Let us act out this childish imagination of yours, DeCallan turned to Dunn. Worf here is feeling a bit cold, a tad chilly. I think it would be rude of us not to offer heat and comfort to our guests. Put him in the furnace. Dunn looked slightly shocked at the idea, and DeCallan noticed. Rushing towards him, DeCallan grabbed his collars. Now! He pushed Dunn back and sneered at Worf, who stuck out his chest in defiance and raised his manacled arms in a macabre fighting stance. DeCallan's eyes widened in joyful anticipation of the attack. Suddenly, from behind, a phaser beam glided past him and hit Worf in the chest, stunning the Klingon to the ground. DeCallan spun around, his red eyes burning with rage. What in the Emperor's name are you doing, Dunn? Dunn lowered his phaser. He looked scared. I I thought he was going to attack you, sir. I I thought it best to... DeCallan's fist finished Dunn's sentence. I'll save killing you, Dunn. If I ever get a hint that you sympathize with any of these prisoners... Then I will have you transferred to Suicide Watch. Do you understand? Dunn nodded and DeCallan smiled back at him. Now be a good sport, remove Worf, and get me whoever Margon is practicing on. Oh, and Dunn, do not betray me. DeCallan's last word echoed in Dunn's ears as he watched the arch interrogator walk gently to the main brig. Next up, a joint post by Jen and Hawkeye Meds. Read by Hawkeye Meds. Physically experiencing her husband's assimilation by the Borg made returning to a normality impossible for Seville. That awful level of awareness that bonded couples shared had transformed her personally when she felt him slip away from her forever. 
Her husband was not an ignorant man, but his loyalty kept him from protesting the day the Emperor sent him to capture the Borg King. The general knew he would not return, but he expected to die in combat, not to become another subject of the king he was sent to dethrone. Seville's mind often returned to the morning she awoke from that nightmare of pain and fear, only to enter another within the waking world. She did not require a confirmation of her husband's doomed fate, and yet it came with an unannounced visitor from Tevian's friend, Emperor Locke. He came to personally deliver the news, offer his condolences, and... The memory was brushed away, as she, once again, felt a presence stir in her mind. When it first made itself known, the knowledge had inspired her to find the nearest airlock and surrender to the frozen void of space. But as the consciousness continued to develop, it became fused with her own. Though unwanted, the presence was all she had left. "'Are you okay?' asked Casey, as they continued down the dimly lit corridor towards the brig. Silently, she nodded in affirmation. A handful of heartbeats later, they were stepping into the Carlin's realm. The door whisked open with the speed of a viper to reveal a grisly scene. The room was cold and dark, but Susan Kane's twisted form could be seen suspended in a gravity chamber across the room. Seville caught her breath as she recognised the interrogator's wife. Dr Peterson's etched face transitioned to a grimace. He refrained from scanning for biosigns, for it was obvious the woman was dead. Seville centred herself and began her search for Reese. A thud from behind caused the pair to spin round to see the body of Susan lying on the floor, her glassy eyes staring up at them. From the darkness just beyond came the hissing voice of the Cullen. Your synopsis, Doctor. My wife appears to be suffering from a broken heart. <laughs> he laughed casually and bent down and touched her cold face. He stroked it gently and smiled. It's such a shame she had to leave me that way. Still, another one bites the dust, eh? <laughs> Seville took a step forward. De Callan, we have come for the prisoner Peters. We have ordered... De Callan began talking loudly over. It's such a shame, Doctor, that you deemed it necessary to contaminate my room with this green-blooded trollop. Refusing to address her directly, he continued speaking to Casey. I know why you're here. I trust you have the relevant paperwork? He sat down behind a duty station and levelled a disdained gaze upon Seville. The Vulcan was used to hearing prejudiced comments from Tyrans. Though the Empire no longer enslaved her people, there remained a deep-seated hatred in many humans. She lifted her chin and tilted her head slightly to study the scourge seated comfortably before her. He was looking for a reaction, and though he had hit a nerve with his slight, she chose not to give him the satisfaction of her response. Seville let the moment stretch before she responded coolly, I have come to collect Reese Peters. The Emperor's verbal directive is all the paperwork you require. The Carlin's teeth clenched together as he quickly stood, screwed up his chair, and smacked it against Case's chest, causing him to fly into the wall. Seville fell back in an attempt to defend herself, but the Callum was just as quickly upon her, his seething breath heating the side of her face. I don't like you. He drew a deep breath as he sniffed her neck. I don't like your offensive smell. He looked her up and down before leaning close to her ear. I see the way you put your greasy hair behind that ridiculous pointed ear of yours in a vain attempt at flirtation. He works with the Emperor, but I see through you, Seville. I know you're up to something, and when I discover what it is, and I will, 
I will personally enjoy removing swatches of your pale skin from every inch of your body. And with that, he licked her cheek. The rage that Savril kept hidden from the outside world erupted in that moment, and with all the strength of her Vulcan lineage, she tossed the vile man off her with a glutterous cry that reverberated within the darkened brig, and the Callan flew across the room. His back hit the floor with a metallic thud, and he slid to stop four metres away. He slowly got up, ran a hand through his black hair, and brushed off his tunic as his low chuckle grew into an evil laugh. Breathing heavily, Seville walked past him to collect the prisoner, who had silently watched from his cell. She felt the heat of the interrogator's gaze burning her back as she and Dr. Peterson released the force field and walked Reese out of the dungeon. And now we have a post by Just X, read by Billy Bob. The almond-shaped biotech command ship of the Queen of the Cooperative slid through space in the direction of the rift and battle taking place near it. Arya stepped free of her alcove at the heart of the vessel, and stretched seductively as her body accepted newly acquired genetic enhancements from species 9837. Beyond the donation of 20% of their population and key technological advancements, the gift of their genetics provided the cooperative with multi-spectrum vision that would replace the current techno-organic implants used by many of her children. The same genetic enhancements were also being integrated into the sensor systems of the cooperative's biotech vessels. Arya smiled as she adjusted to her new vision, and could feel the success of the integration for many of her children. The hours that it would take to reach the battle gave her more than enough time to plan. Soon, she would change the universe for the better, and no one would stop her. Here's a post by Wraith1701, and it'll be read by Hawkeye Meds. It's on the fringe of Klingon space. As he stepped aboard the Negvar, Kvark quickly scanned the faces of the warriors arrayed before him. They were the cream of the crop. All had worked, fought, and killed the way up the ladder for the opportunity to serve on the fleet's flagship. Only here, at the bloody point of the Alliance's thrust into the heart of the Terangan's so-called empire, would there be opportunities for true glory. Kurak returned his warrior's salute, pounded his clenched fist smartly against his armoured chest, and barked status. The ship's female captain stepped forward, separating herself from the ranks. All the ship's systems operating at peak performance. Reactor generating 89 chad vapor cycle, 13% higher than fleet standard. We carry a full load of 250 proton torpedoes, and the medical support deck has been reconfigured per your instructions to accommodate an additional 175 Mark IV quantum torpedoes. All disruptor banks have been tested to a confirmed accuracy of 0.25 kelicams per log quam. The fetching young captain faced a leaving conspiratorial smile at the Admiral. Even Carles himself couldn't help anyone who dared to oppose us. Karak returned the captain's smile, his eye roving unbashingly to the deeply tanned cleavage revealed by her form-fitting armour. Outstanding, he replied. If fortune smiles on us, we will have a chance to put your bragging to the test very soon. Karak stomped down a metallic boarding ramp leading to the deck of the docking bay. His metal-shod boots echoed loudly with each step. Any word from the regent? Yes, Admiral, the captain replied, falling into step beside him. Regent Alexander has left instructions for you. You can retrieve them here, or from any data terminal. I wish to review them in my quarters, Karak replied. Lead the way, Captain. 
Of course, Admiral, she replied. As he followed the captain into the dimly lit corridor, Karak marvelled at her form. He felt almost mesmerised as he watched her well-toned buttocks flexing hypnotically beneath the tight leather of her combat leggings. Marvellous, he muttered quietly. Admiral? she replied, glancing over her shoulder. Nothing, Karak replied, dragging his eyes back up to meet hers. Carry on, Captain. Minutes later, the pair stood in Karak's Spartan quarters, looking on as the red trefoil of the Klingon Empire sprang to life on the Admiral's computer monitor. The Captain turned to Karak. Should I leave, Admiral? No, Karak replied. I believe in full disclosure among my command staff. If you are to fight and possibly die with me, you deserve to know the reasoning behind it. Remain. At the touch of a button, the image wavered and vanished to be replaced by a recording of the youthful but stern face of the newly minted leader of civilized space. The youth's almond-coloured beard lent him an air of authority far beyond his twenty-eight years. Alexander's thick eyebrows drew together, giving his smile a sinister, commanding weight. Admiral Karak, I present to you the crown jewel of my fleet, the IKS Negvar. With this ship beneath your feet, you should have no problem freeing my father from the clutches of the vile Telangand and their so-called emperor, David Locke. The captain of the Negvar is Hod Kalala, a warrior of prodigious cunning and unmatched talents. Regent Alexander's leaving grin turned especially lascivious, both on the bridge and in the bunk if you take my meaning, he added with a wink. But keep in mind, Admiral, I am especially fond of Kalala. She may well be my future consort. Alexander leaned forward, his face taking on a stern cast. You are to make use of her talents only as they pertain to your mission. If you honour me and my father, you will seek recreation elsewhere. That is all. The regent raised his fist and slapped it against his chest in salute. Kapla! As the screen went dark, Kalara stepped closer to Karak and sniffed seductively at the nape of his neck. He wasn't joking, you know, she said, her voice growing husky. About my talents, I mean. Karak whirled, shoved the captain away from him. Are you mad? You heard what he said. I owe Worf and his house too much to dishonour. His son through Kukaldry. As Karak stood staring at the darkened monitor, he almost didn't hear Kalava approaching him once more. He did, however, hear the whistling of her hand as it cut through the air, striking him firmly across the lower lip. As he stared at her in astonishment, Kalava's other fist shot out as well, catching the stunned Admiral squarely in the jaw. Korak turned and calmly spit a bloody tooth onto the deck, before facing the captain with a vicious grin. He chuckled mirthlessly. <laughs> I didn't know whether you were trying to challenge my authority or come on to me, but it doesn't really matter. His eyes burned with rage, and Karak slowly drew his dagger. As he held the gleaming blade before him, he whispered in a soft, dangerous voice, Beloved of the Regent or not, I will send your soul to Stovakor. Raising her hand to her lips, Kalara playfully smiled and licked Karak's blood from one of her knuckles. What a shame, she said with a smirk. I'd expected more from a worry with your reputation. To think, you'd be scared off by a mere boy. Karak bellowed with rage and frustration, then drew back and threw his blade with all of his strength. To her credit, Kalara didn't flinch as the blade whizzed past her head, missing her by centimetres and burying itself into the wall behind her. She once again approached the Admiral, her eyebrows lowered seductively. I'm flattered by the Regent's attention, but I belong to no one. If I see something I want, I take it. That 
is the way of the warrior, is it not? She placed a hotly burning hand on the back of Korak's neck, pulling his face closer to hers. Korak's shoulders quivered as duty struggled against him, within him. Come on, Admiral. I see the way you look at me, Kalara said. I know that you want me. So what are you, a warrior or a frightened slave? Korak gasped Kalara and kissed her fiercely, then shoved her onto the bare metal bunk. I fear no one, he bellowed. Many decks below, the mighty warp core of the Negvar thumbed to throbbing, pulsating life. With an explosion of ice-seeming light, the deadly ship leaped into warp, bound for the Turan system. This is a joint post by Moyer777, Brian CD, and Hawkeye Meds, and it will be read by Moyer777. The light seemed to brighten, and a bridge of a starship emerged around Margon and Quinn. Seated in the captain's chair was Nathan, and he was giving orders to crewmen that were strangely dressed in uniforms that were similar, but not quite like the ones Margon was accustomed to. "'Where are we?' asked Margon. "'Sit down, counselor. Take your seat,' said Quinn. He was beginning to believe he was back on the Arabella. The red alert clacked and sounded as two Borgs materialized on the bridge. "'Margon, watch out!' yelled Quinn. Margon ducked as a mechanical arm swept across his head. "'Computer, freeze program!' he startled. The Borg hung in time and space as the whole bridge froze. That is, all except Quinn and Margon. "'Where are you from? What ship is this?' Quinn was feeling nauseous now and almost threw up. The drugs that Margon had injected into his body were causing him to be dizzy. "'Counselor, why would you ask me such a question?' he slurred as he began to lose his fight to stay awake. Don't sleep yet, my friend, Margon said as he pulled his taser from his pocket. Zap! The electrical current jarred Nathan awake again. What's going on? he said, disoriented. Margon walked to the side of the bridge and read the name of the ship. The USS Arabella? The United Federation of Planets? What the... Just then, Dunn arrived at Margon's door and he went to walk in, but the glass doors didn't open. Tapping the control panel on the side of the door, it remained still. "'Computer!' he snarled. "'Open Dr. Margon's door!' Unable to comply, doors are sealed from the inside. Dunn punched the door and began to shout as the blood rushed to his face. "'Margon! What are you doing in there? I have orders to take your pet away!' Margon, absorbed in this hollow fantasy, finally heard Dunn. Oh, curse that wretch, he said under his breath. An angry, muffled voice came from behind the doors. Stay on the other side of the glass, Dunn. Dunn went on to tap his communication badge to inform the interrogator, but stopped. He didn't want to upset him again, recalling the last time he had. He flinched at the memory of that pain still lingered on. If Margon had sealed the door... It meant that the patient was going to be in a serious way. He raised his phaser and increased the setting and then fired at the glass. Streams of glass splintered into Margon's lab. One of the chunks lodged in Margon's cheek and blood spattered onto Quinn. The probe in the back of the captain's neck dislodged and the entire simulation came to a grinding halt. Margon dived for cover behind the body of Quinn and Dunn ran in and quickly scanned the room. The hands of the doctor came into view 
and clasped onto the tubes connected into Quinn. He raised himself up and glared at the intruder. Who gave you permission to interrupt my experiments? Dunn stepped through the shattered glass. The crunching sound echoed through the chamber. The Emperor wants him alive. DeCallan wants him alive. I see you're having fun as usual, but this time I'm not going to take the fall. And the consequences, you blue sadist. Margon's anger flared, but he controlled himself. And you're lucky I didn't kill you where you stand. I have powerful friends. I will have you gutted for this. Dunn smiled and pointed his phaser at Margon. Remove the tubes. Lift him up and put him in the chair, Dunn said, trying to protect an image of calm as his stomach was in knots. Margon did indeed have powerful friends. No, I'm not finished with him yet, he said, glaring at Dunn. I said give him to me or I'll take great pleasure in seeing you on the receiving end of your toys. Margon's lip quivered only slightly as he whispered, Computer, Security Measure 35, Dr. Margon. With that, a cloud of gas began to spray from the ventilation ducts. A low growl was heard from behind Dunn. He turned to see a Klingon Targ baring his teeth and crouched, ready to jump. This is a joint post by Jen, Trucky Geek, and Iceman. And it will be read by Chucky Geek. Are you okay, Doctor? Asked Savril as they trudged through the passageway with Reese Peters dragging between them. Her breathing was still heavy and Casey was concerned that the cannon had injured her. I was about to ask you the same thing. Assessing the damaged, she directed the question inward. After a moment, she replied in a hushed tone, We are fine. What's all this about? inquired Reese as the three entered the Doctor's quarters. Peterson and Savril hauled the former prisoner to a sofa and carefully helped him into it. I have secured your release with the stipulation that I perform a mind meld to glean any information of value to the Empire, said Savril. She wearily fell into a nearby chair and wiped her sleeve over the place de Callan's tongue had violated her cheek. She found herself feeling sick again, but the cause was not related to her affliction. She wished she had cut off the cannon's tongue instead of throwing him across the room, but violence had never been her modus operandi. Dr. Peterson looked over Reese's deep gashes. The cannon must be taking lessons from Margan, he thought to himself, as he used the dermal regenerator to repair the open cuts and broken bones. The deep purple bruising seemed to encompass his entire body. Savril watched as Reese's wounds were treated. I have my own reasons for freeing you. I require your hacking skills. My contact has requested this vessel's shield modulation codes. Dr. Margon's lab is the best place with which to access that information. It is secluded, and I believe I can bribe the Bolian into cooperating. Peters was surprised at how quickly things had changed. One minute he was sitting in his cell, wondering what would become of him, and the next he found himself having his wounds tended to with skill and compassion. So, his hacking skills were required once more. It had been a long time since he had hacked anything serious, and he hoped technology hadn't accelerated too far since that assignment. Peters tried not to display his self-doubt as he frowned up at Sivril. I want triple the latinum your contact paid me last time. Yes, of course, she replied. You will have your payment. I will speak to Margon and map the layout of his lab in case he fails to find my offer tempting. Peters relaxed slightly as the doctor tended to his wounds. 
He felt the familiar tingle as the dermal regenerator worked busily over his bald, bruised head and thought about what Savril had offered him. He had worked with her before and things had run smoothly on those occasions, but this job sounded more complex. Several had not flinched when he had asked for triple the latinum, which led him to believe that this mission was both dangerous and crucial. It was this fact, along with his broken and beaten body, that made the decision to aid her easy to make. He would help Cyril because the job would put him in a position to give this, the Callan, a little of his own medicine. For the first time in many days, a smile appeared on Reese's cracked lips. Casey looked up from his work to see an odd expression cross the patient's swollen face. His betazoid senses told him that Reese was not delirious, but rather pleased with the opportunity that Seville had provided him. The doctor turned back to his appointed task, moving the regenerator over Reese's broken ribs. The severity of his wounds brought Casey back to the time when he had been when he had had the misfortune of experiencing DeCannon's torture firsthand. He still carried deep physical and mental scars from that encounter. Even the memory of that incident caused Casey physical pain, an unfortunate testament to the effectiveness of DeCannon's skills and zeal for his own work, if you could call it that. There were many who harboured a great hatred for the interrogator, yet DeCannon was responsible for the death of Casey's wife, Myella and the doctor's animosity for Joseph ran far deeper than the chasm that separated him from Myala's departed spirit. Perhaps he would finally have the chance to exact a slow and painful revenge on the man who had killed her with a smile. We have another joint post by Jen and Just X, and it will be read by Jen. The Queen of the Cooperative silently observed the movements of the ships involved in the prolonged battle. She watched them impassively, as neither group made any significant progress against their enemies. Her heart pounded in anticipation of what lie beyond the rift and the ramifications of that discovery. Arya's mind reached out through the web of thoughts that comprised the cooperative and its agents. How is your assignment proceeding? She thought to one of her most well-placed operatives. Savril sat upright in her chair as the voice entered her mind. A moment later, the presence within her stirred again. It was obvious it too had heard the Queen's call. The Vulcan glanced to Peterson and Reese. The doctor was occupied with treating his patient, who had fallen asleep on the sofa. Savril closed her eyes and responded in thought. We have recovered Reese Peters. The doctor is treating him presently. DeCollin may attempt to hinder my efforts. I see, replied Arya. I will be arriving soon, and the time for masquerades will be lifted. You will be greatly rewarded for your efforts and sacrifices, Arya thought as her ship drew closer to her agents. Soon, the Empire and Alliance will be replaced with something all the more superior. We are curious as to what our hated rivals are doing at the Rift. Ships will soon arrive to extract all assets and reward their efforts. The cooperative is quite pleased with your progress. Aboard her ship, Arya reached out to other operatives and prepared them for their assignments. It might take some time, but the galaxy would soon be under her control. With each step, she would make things better. At the heart of the cooperative, Arya monitored millions of tasks at once. She tested newly acquired genetic material on distant drones and enhanced the rest of the cooperative with successful results. 
her own form, while retaining much of her former appearance, contained the genetic and technological enhancements of over 200 species. To the elite of the cooperative, she granted the best enhancements. Savril had been granted a more advanced telepathy to enable communication with the cooperative. The Vulcan had denied anything beyond that, but Arya would not be refused for long. Though this version of Savril was not her real mother, she was genetically identical to the woman who had birthed her some twenty years prior. That woman and her father Eric were lost, and she had no hope of ever recovering them. No. This Savril was all the family Arya had, and she took care of her own, whether they liked it or not. We will contact our operative aboard the Alliance flagship and see if they hold information that might be of use, Arya thought to Savril, then turned her mind to another spy. Casey finished treating Reese and rolled his gaze toward the Vulcan woman. She was nodding in response to a statement he could not hear. Yet he was half betazoid, which meant he could sense her mood, and the pervading tone of her demeanor had changed. The turbulence that DeCollin stoked within her had been suppressed, and her anger replaced by an air of expectancy. Wraith 1701's post is next, and it will be read by Billy Bob. Like a titanic, green-hued spear, the Negvar pierced the barrier, separating normal space from subspace forcing itself into a realm where the mundane laws of physics did not apply. Protected only by the thin skin of its warp bubble, the battlecruiser rapidly attained a comfortable cruising speed of 292 times the speed of light, steadily closing the gap between itself and the unsuspecting hordes of the Terangan Empire. At the rear of the bridge, Admiral Karak smiled. As he turned to address the helmsman, the towering Admiral winced. Judging by the ache in his side, Two of his recently broken ribs had just scraped together, producing a flash of sharp, grinding pain. Karak's eye briefly touched on Captain Kalara, sitting at the elevated command throne. Quite a spirited woman, he thought, reflecting on the previous night's tryst. Karak returned his attention to the helm, leaning over the station to rest a heavily calloused hand on the navigator's shoulder. Estimated time to arrival at Terran space... At current speed, we should arrive at the perimeter of Terangan-controlled space within 1.5 days. Karak nodded in approval. One way or another, he would soon be able to release Regent Worf from the humiliation his captor had brought to both his house and the Alliance. He would either free him, or, at the least, free his soul to move on to Stovakor while his captors died around him. Karak's attention was captured by an insistent beeping coming from the tactical station. Before he could inquire about the cause, the tactical officer turned to address Captain Kalara. Sensors are picking up massive energy readings, as well as a large quantity of spatial debris in our path. If we don't alter course, we will intercept in less than an hour. Kalara turned to Karak. We should come out of warp and investigate. Any intelligence we might pick up from the site might aid our mission. As he thoughtfully stroked his goatee, Karak silently nodded in assent. Engage cloak, the captain ordered turning back to face the viewscreen. As the command was carried out, the bridge lighting dimmed to a deep red. She glanced at the helmsman. Once we come within 90,000 kellycams of the site's perimeter, take us out of warp and hold position. Moments later, streaks of starlight filling the forward viewscreen compressed and resolved into familiar pinpoints of light. The familiarity was starkly contrasted, however, 
by the image dominating the view. A barely discernible incongruity in the very fabric of space seemed to flicker in and out of existence. Karak rubbed his eyes, unsure of whether or not what he thought he was seeing was actually there, or simply an effect of eye strain. It looked as though the area in the center of the screen was sporadically going in and out of focus. The stars around the area seemed to flicker. One moment they were clearly visible, and the next, they seemed to momentarily wink out of existence. The effect was made all the more strange by the intermittent flashes of faint light that seemed to accompany each shift. As odd as it was, though, this little curiosity wasn't nearly as interesting as the scene playing out around it. Arrayed before the anomaly, a fierce battle was taking place. The flash of phaser blasts and torpedo detonations reflected hellishly from the metallic debris littering the area. And there, in the midst of the debris, Karak's blood froze as he recognized the geometric form of several Borg craft. Honorless cybernetic Kotal, he thought. What are they doing here? Weaving in and out of the debris field surrounding the Borg ships was the familiar form of a Tarangan melee-class frigate. At the moment, the ship seemed to be holding her own. Brilliant orange spears of destructive energy lanced out from her multiple phaser banks, mercilessly carving into the soulless Borg ships. Report, Captain Kalara ordered. The tactical officer turned in his chair. Records indicate that the frigate is a ship called the Tiberius. Her weapons complement is considerable, and her shields appear to be holding up to the Borg assault. As for the spatial distortion, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, Captain. The officer's face screwed up in bafflement. Whatever the anomaly is, it is interfering with our sensors. The readings I'm getting make no sense. The quantum signature of the entire area seems to be in a state of flux. Karak mentally shut out the technical officer's confused reply. Space distortions and anomalies were not his concern. What did concern him was the presence of the Borg. They had made incursions into Klingon space in the past, sweeping through the sector like a force of nature. Death and destruction had been left in their wake. It was only by the grace of Kales that the Empire and her Cardassian allies had managed to finally drive them off. As contrary as it was to his nature, a small part of Korak had hoped that he had seen the last of this cold, emotionless foe. It appeared that this was not to be the case. The reappearance of the cybernetic enemy would complicate matters. The Admiral stepped to the command seat, keying the hailing switch on Kalara's chair. I hope these encryption algorithms are as secure as those spoonheads in the Obsidian Order claim, he muttered. I'd hate to have either the Terrans or the cyborgs out there listening into our communications. After waiting for the prompt from the captain's armrest interface, the giant Klingon admiral spoke in calm, even tones. Karak to Alliance Fleet. Initiate program Thangan Kul. He thumbed the transmit button, then looked down at the seated captain. Maintain position and continue to monitor the battle. I will have orders for you shortly. Without another word, Karak turned and stalked off the bridge, leaving the captain with more than a few unanswered questions. We have a post by Rico. Also read by Rico. You do know that Talbert would kill you with his bare hands if he knew what you were doing with me. The sheen of sweat sparkled on the lathe back of Marie Barton as she laid across the blue skin chest under her. She looked over at her very small two-piece uniform and boots on a nearby chair. I'd like to see the old man try. I've got many supporters in the Tiberius, Marie, and Talbot's losing its touch. Besides, I thought you enjoyed what I was doing to you a few minutes ago, didn't you? Zrem said with a sly grin. Marie shifted slightly as she flipped back her long blonde hair. Oh, I guess my screams kind of gave me away. Uh, <laughs> but I'm serious now. Don't underestimate Talbot. 
He hasn't gotten this far in the Empire and put in command of this ship because he was lucky. The man has some type of sixth sense. Might be that Romulan blood. I don't, I don't know. But watch your back around him, blue boy. Marie said as she nuzzled the side of the Andorian's neck. I'll be fine, Marie. You watch your pretty back, too. Damn, I hate to think of you with him. He could be your father, Zrem said in a frustrated tone. It's okay, Blue. Lately, he leaves me alone anyway. I, I think he's been thinking about his wife again. That always gets him into a mood. Now, aren't you supposed to be checking on this prisoner that Margon's been working on, she said. Oh, you mean Nathan Quinn? Back from the dead? Come on, Marie. It's got to be an imposter. Probably some sort of alliance trick planted on the Borg ship. I have to say it's a good plan. Let Margon have his fun for a little while longer. I have better things to do right now. Zrem said as he quickly flipped Marie over and got on top of her. She smiled up at him and ran her fingers over his white hair and antennae. Well, I guess I won't be making my shift in engineering on time. Well, being the Admiral's woman does have its advantages. She said as she giggled and felt Zrem reach his hand around her neck and pull her face up to his. They kissed and soon the personal guards of each of them outside Zrem's quarters were trying to ignore the loud sounds and noises coming from within. And for our final post, it will be by Jen and read by Jen. His ancestors were Vikings, and David carried many of their physical attributes. He was taller than most Terran men, broad-shouldered and heavily built. His fierce blue eyes were as cold as the frozen land of his forefathers. Crow's feet furrowed deep lines at the corners of his eyes, and they arched high over his cheekbones when he leered or grinned. David's short-cropped blonde hair was stippled with white, as was his neatly kept beard that he grew on his chin. He scratched at it as he watched the viewscreen. The Emperor's black leather tunic groaned as he crossed his arms over his chest and set his jaw. The fleet had disabled several cubes, but not without a price. They had lost two of his best ships, and the battle still waged on. But the tide was turning in the Emperor's favor. A pulsing red light washed over the bridge, signifying the high alert status. The deck plate shuddered beneath his feet as their shields absorbed the energy beams that lanced out from the lead cube. The Admiral stood at the center of the bridge, barking orders. Fall back into pattern Gambit 1. Tell the brood of vipers and the daggers blow to follow our lead. Admiral Talbot was the supreme commander of the Emperor's fleet, and Locke had not been dissatisfied with the man's incentives, yet the responsibility had not always belonged to Talbot. Before Talbot, General Tevian was in command, and it would have remained so if the Emperor had found Savril unappealing. After the General's unfortunate demise, David gave Admiral Talbot the task of overseeing the Borg expulsion. Of course, the ruler expected protests from his military advisors regarding Talbot's Romulan heritage, for the same complaints were voiced with fervor when the Vulcan General was appointed. His advisors insisted that Terrans command the might of the Empire's forces. But David did not evaluate one's prowess as a leader by studying a family tree. It was deeds and conduct during the heat of battle that earned individuals lofty positions within Locke's empire. Talbot's Romulan blood, no doubt, contributed to his cunning. 
but DNA was nothing more than a footnote to David. The half-breed was a proven commander and a capable soldier. As long as Talbot didn't have a wife that turned the Emperor's head, he would be richly rewarded after the current battle was won. The Emperor smiled as Tiberius returned fire. So that's going to do it for the story so far. I want to thank Hawkeye Meds, Billy Bob, Jen, Rico, Moyer777, and Trekkie Geek for helping out with the readings. And I want to thank all the writers of the RPG. Unfortunately, with my busy schedule, Jen and I weren't able to get together this week, so there'll be no analyzing the story so far or final thoughts. But I wanted to thank everybody who listened to the RPG, who participated in the RPG. You guys make it what it is, and uh, it's pretty fantastic. So uh, keep up the great job, and hopefully Jen and I will be back next week. So I guess that's going to do it for this Ready Room. This is Kenny, hailing frequencies closed. All music used on the Ready Room Podcast is provided by Moyer777 and Metron07. And here's another fantastic song done by the master of parody, Rick Moyer, also known as Moyer777 on the forums. Take it away, Rick. I see stars that shine And evil too Spark with a beer And an intended too And I think to myself It's a mere universe I see Captain Forrest With Hoshi in bed Archer advancing Wanting him dead And I think to myself It's the mere universe The chamber of torture So horrid and grand Cochran killing Vulcans Instead of saluting with his hand I see duplicates doing Things they never would do Really saying I hate you Jennifer cried I watched Jake go along I see Sue get annoyed and Uhura's knife and song Then I think to myself It's the mere universe Yeah, I think to myself It's the mere universe